As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by JJ Bull, the Mallard. Hello, Joe Devine. How are you, Mallard boy? I'm looking forward to a very fast 10-minute podcast episode yeah. today. Yes. We haven't left ourselves very long. But also, we're joined by another man for whom height is no issue. It's Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hi, Seb. Hello, Joe Devine. Height oh. is no issue at all. How are you doing out there in Germany? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you very much for asking. Good. Well, today we're going to talk about a handful of things. Uh, of course, we've been away. Do you remember when I said we'll be back in a week? It's been a long old week, a week containing about three or four other weeks. Uh, but as a result of that, we've missed loads of things that we could have talked about. Like, uh, for example, Jack Grealish potentially moving to Manchester City. Uh, today, as we record, Harry Kane, he hasn't gone to training. There's these things and there's other things that Seb has kindly put in a plan that I haven't read yet. So we'll be getting to those later on in today's episode. Uh, but for now, I will leave you in the warm hands and the oh-so-cool embrace of the Mallard. Now, Seb, where else to start but with the, oh, goodness me, the news, Harry Kane is skiving off work, apparently. I don't actually know what's happening. What's happening? Oh, I don't want to talk about this. But yes, uh, Harry Kane has not returned to Tottenham training. He was due to come back after his post-Euros break on Monday. Uh. And there is no sign of him. And at the moment, at the time we were recording, Tottenham have actually offered no comment. But pretty much every major media outlet in the UK is reporting that he is refusing to. Wants to have a, a big old chat with Daniel Levy and hash out terms for him to leave so yeah, big old muddle. It's it's kind of strange because it, it feels as if it feels as if since the news that Harry Kane wanted to leave Tottenham broke, absolutely nothing has happened. And I mean nothing. No one has made a bid, no one has uh commented. There's been no significant movement in any direction. And then today it feels like he's he's gone from like stage one or two of transfer annoyance to stage eleven, which is the kind of the, the go and strike, not turn up to work 
uh, burn all my bridges in one go sort of way. Well, I mean, does it look like he's not going to get a move then? Because this is a f- fairly serious thing, isn't it? If if uh, if the the reports are to be believed, Seb, that uh, he hasn't gone into training to try to force through a move, I guess the complication is also that there are other reports out there about City moving for Jack Grealish. Do they have the money to buy both players? Well, two problems there. Like the first one, yeah, if you if you spend a hundred million pounds on Jack Grealish. Even for Manchester City, you'd presume that would put a little bit of a dent in their budget. <laughs> but the other problem is, if you're willing to pay 100 million for Jack Grudish, then that's probably something that Daniel Levy will use against you in a negotiation. Yeah. Uh, Jack Grudish is a wonderful player. I love watching him. But Harry Kane has more Premier League golden boots than Jack Grudish has Premier League seasons. Sure. So it's, uh, you, you think, 100 million pound Jack Grealish, 150 million pound Harry Kane, probably even at 28, uh, even with bad ankles. Because he signed little. that six year contract, didn't he? I mean, that's his real problem. He signed the six year contract. How many years has he got left on that? Three? He's got three more. So there's yeah. no real contract pressure at work. He hasn't really got the kind of, he can't use the threat of leaving for free next year, as you've seen with like, remember what happened with Robin Van Persie. Yeah. It's not really one of those. And what, what I find strange is that in many ways he is at the mercy of Daniel Levy's judgment or at the mm. mercy of Daniel Levy's whatever you want to term uh, the emotion which lets you lead, allow your, your star player to leave, whatever that quality is. Uh, I don't think Daniel Levy has a lot of it. And yet he seems to have spent, or not Harry Kane, Harry Kane's representative, uh, he's, he's represented by his brother. He seems to have spent the summer antagonizing Daniel Levy and sure. creating a context which would probably annoy you if you were Levy. You're thinking, okay, well, you know, this isn't going to make me uh, drop my asking price. It's not going to weaken my resolve to keep hold of you. It seems to say, unless there's something that is uh, much too smart for me to understand going on, then I don't get what the end game is to this style of negotiation, really. Well, JJ, here's a question for you then, right? If, uh, uh, if Manchester City don't buy Harry Kane, let's just say that the season continues as is, they don't really need a striker, do they? They did fine with that one last year. They've got Gabriel Jesus. They also have uh, Liam Delap, who is son of Rory. Really? In the reserves. Yeah, yeah. He's really highly thought of. He's oh, a, I didn't know that. He'll be in the first team squad, apparently, but probably not starting a lot. Can he throw the ball really far? I don't think he can. Do you think people ask him that all the time? Yeah. It's not like in that old game. It's not Pokemon. It was another one called Monster Hunter, something like that. Sure. I can't remember what it was, but you could breed the two... If you had... Not a Pokemon, but two different monsters, and you could breed them to create new monsters with traits of each. You could create Rory de, Rory de Lap, is that what you're saying? Yes, Rory de Lap could mate with another monster and create, <laughs> <laughs> and create, and create Liam de Lap. So that's what they've done in this version of whatever that game was called. I can't remember. Back Anyways, to Liam tactics, safety and tactics. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Liam de Lap is a more of a uh, more of an all-rounder. He's not like Gabriel Jesus, who's like a false nine, very nippy, nippy little man. Gabriel Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. So it's sort of Portuguese. He's Brazilian, isn't he? Oh, well, yeah. I guess. Yes, that makes sense. Jesus. Sure. Thank you for correcting me, Jordan. No, Bank. no problem. I'll do it loudly every time. Uh, they would like to have another striker. It's the whole point. They're trying to get Harry Kane. They're trying to. What they often lack is um, being able to not mix it up and go to Plan B, as people will say. But you, you want to have a focal point of your attack who scores lots of goals. Yeah. And while Jesus will score a lot of goals uh, for you, he's not going to be someone who can attack high balls. He's not someone who can annoy defenders by being a physical presence and threat. That's what they hope. He doesn't necessarily broaden their options. No. And 
I mean, uh, Pep worked with Lewandowski at Bayern Munich. Could imagine that's. I mean, he he did bring in Zlatan Ibrahimovic at Barcelona once, so he clearly has an idea in his mind of having this kind of big, tall, physical striker. Yeah, Kane is just guaranteed twenty to twenty-five goals a season and yeah. often scores above his xG, and that's kind of what Man City would like to do because they're always on their xG. So if you have someone that gives you the extra little x. Mm. G factor. The X factor in the G. Yeah. yeah. Then that might be what gets them over the line in Champions League and helps them. When they, when they, well, Liverpool won the league. Man City didn't lose the league. When Liverpool won the league. They were way over their XG by miles. They were just overscoring and City were right level. Mm. Even though City kind of... So City technically should have been the better team, but they weren't because Liverpool underperformed. Yeah. And so, yeah, Kane would be their target because of what he's going to bring to them. But yeah, like you said, Kane's completely goosed himself. He must be tired, though, as well, right? I mean, uh, Seb, I don't know if this is fair or not, but as a as a sort of ordinary viewer, I look at Kane playing football and I, I, I see Wayne Rooney. I see someone who, by the time he gets to 31, is going to be too tired to be as good as he is now. Is yeah, that unfair? No, I think it's partly to do with his body shape. So when, he's, when Kane is either uh, highly fatigued or coming back from injury, he has a habit of lumbering. He's a bit lumbery. He's, he's, yeah. he's not a fluid mover at the best he of hunches. times. He hunches. He does a bit, and because he's big and quite bulky and muscular, it looks like you watch him run, you think, God, you wouldn't want to be his knees or his ankles, yeah. you know, or yeah. his hips or anything. Getting um, a pounding. But I, I wonder whether this has come up, <laughs> this, is, this has come up three or four times. Like Kane has had a, a little bit of a, not a goal scoring slump, but a slump in performance and a, a slump in fluidity. <laughs> It's not helpful just to see a massive version of JJ's face laughing. It's harder than in the studio. And every time he reaches this point, he rebounds and starts scoring again. And people start saying things like, actually, he's playing the best football of his career now. And look, he's added a new thing into his game. And then people who've said things like, oh, his performances aren't very good anymore. Or there's a very famous comment on Twitter where somebody dug out one of those data radars during one of Kane's slums and said something like, oh, this is just a really bang average sort of championship standard player now. And that was, I don't know, six months before he scored another 25 Premier League goals in a season or something. Sure. So, he's a tough one to, to analyse in that sense, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's, he's, his thing is making people look silly with their predictions. So maybe we won't add ourselves to that pile. But... I do think that there is, I am actually gonna add myself to that pile now. He looks 28 now, like as a uh, as a footballer, he looks like someone who's still in his prime, but it's probably, he looks like he might be on the back end of it. I don't know, it's, um, it's the number of ankle injuries, the number of, the, the amount of football he's had to play. And he has this habit of, particularly during the Pochettino era, of he played an awful lot of games where he didn't have to be on the pitch. Yeah. And that's always been a kind of background concern for Tottenham fans. So I don't know. I, 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 I'm wary of what he's done before. It's just that we've reached a fork in the road. And actually the urgency with which Kane is pressing the situation suggests that he now feels time is of the essence. And I understand that. I understand his frustrations with Spurs. It's nothing that we all haven't felt as Spurs fans. But it's a, it's a really bold move. And it, it's, a, it's such a sad thing, though, isn't it? Because he's done so many good things in a Tottenham shirt. And no matter what happens from this point on today monday and the decision not to turn up in training this is part of of his not legacy but it's part of his tottenham cv forever you can't take something like that back which is it's a real shame interesting jj okay so joe's walked out on us 
but he just he just and to just, be clear joe has literally walked out of the studio the thing the thing about joe though is that joe really 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 likes professionalism and anything even if it's not really related to him or his interests if something isn't professional it antagonizes him to an almost it just he finds mm. it intolerable so I think what we've just seen there is, is that, basically. I think he told me he got that professionalism from his favourite MP, Tom Watson, who always follows for business advice, particularly. Interesting. Okay, so I was having a conversation with someone on social media earlier, and we were talking about valuation and the £100 million bid for Jack Grealish, or supposed £100 million bid for Jack Grealish. Mm. And I, was, I felt confident in saying, right, if Grealish is worth that amount of money, if you're Tottenham you would be asking for somewhere in the sort of the 150, 175 region. And someone bit back a little bit and said, well, Grittish is younger. He uh, doesn't have the same injury record. Mm-hmm. He has a bit of an injury record. And he was like, this is sort of, it doesn't make sense. Why would you, why is there such a disparity in their value? But then I, am, I, am I enslaved to the kind of the old way of thinking, which is that goals are the game's currency. Um, someone that with an established record is worth more. And despite his age, if you have, if you have that proven track record, it's worth more than a than the theory of what somebody may be. Because you could say, right, well, Jack Grealish is twenty uh, is twenty five. He's got the best year of his career ahead of you ahead of him. But then, in theory, he does. We don't know, for instance, that he's not one of those players who um, who needs to be the centre of something, who needs to occupy that sort of talisman role. Um, well, what, what would you put a value? What value would you put on Kane? I think actual value probably like. 90 to 100 but what I mean that doesn't mean anything because it's what he's worth to both parties and Levy's not going to let him go because he's figured out he doesn't have to Uh, I mean he doesn't have to at all he's got three years in his deal and much like in Football Manager when you've got players who PSG are trying to poach unless they've got a minimum fee release clause you don't have to sell them you just don't so you can keep him for as long as you want he won't sign a new contract whatever that's not going to happen and then you get two more years out of him. Then you sell him and get some money. And then even an unhappy Kane. I mean, he's, he's not turned up for training, right? But he's not going to not turn up for games. And he's not going to yeah. not play as well and trying to score all of the goals that he can. Which so, wouldn't be in his interest if you wanted to... Well, no, of course not. If you wanted to pursue this kind of direction next summer, he will be either 29 or soon to be 29. You need to have a very good season behind you to convince people that you're worth the money then. Also, like, what, 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 I, don't, I, I don't know whether I'm... I don't know whether I'm biased or whether I, I'm incapable of looking at this um, objectively, but why is the issue here? Uh, if Manchester City want you, you're a footballer. Manchester City want you. Thanks. Yeah, a good one. You know, a, a really you know strong sort of seven point five out of ten kind of player. Anyway, you're a footballer, and Manchester City want you. If they're not willing to match the asking price, then isn't your frustration directed at them? Because a city, no, definitely no. I wouldn't have thought so. But if you're, I mean, if you were, it, it, like you say about the, with the sort of the PSG example, if you're Daniel Levy and you're negotiating with Manchester City, you're not handing out any discounts because the finances are there, or you believe that they are, regardless of what Pep Guardiola says in in, in public. So why would you, if we're led to believe at the moment that City haven't made anything close to a kind of a, an acceptable bid? So why would you sort of, why would your frustration be with Tottenham if there's kind of a, a stated asking price which the club with an almost inexhaustible pile of money won't match? It's a, I don't know, I, I don't know whether that's, I've got too much of a, too heavy a Spurs hat on. 
I mean, I think it's a heavy hat. To be fair, I mean, FFP still exists in some form, doesn't? Does it not? Like, it's, so might have endless amounts of money, but they still have to work within some sort of realm of realisticness. I suppose they do, but whilst the, I mean, the grace period isn't unending, but whilst we're still yet to see kind of how breaches of uh, FFP would be dealt with within the COVID period, which is two years now instead of just one. So I suppose like, yes, there must still be constraints on what you can spend, but they're not quite as well defined as they used to be. So if you want to spend money in big, big doses, now's the time to do it. I think it would probably be the philosophy for a, a PSG or a, um, or a Chelsea as per last summer or Manchester City. And the thing is, right, I mean, this sounds daft, but if City were to sign like a 70 and an 80 and a 50 and a 60 million pound player, it'd be, I can't do the maths on this very quickly, but it'd be the same amount of money they were going to spend on just a Grealish and Kane yeah. overall. It just sounds a bit nuts because it's all in one, all the eggs are in one transfer basket. It's also, I think it changes the conversation about City a little bit because there was, it's been quoted quite a lot over the last few few days, but there's been, there was that Guardiola comment where he talks about, well, we, we don't just go out and buy 100 million pounds, 100 million pound players, which is a little bit of a dig at Man United, I guess. But also, like, if you look at the patterns of their spending, they're quite careful not to go beyond a certain level. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'll go up to about sort of 60, but the idea of them, they don't spend at PSG levels, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Now, as soon as, if you spend, even if you just do the Grealish deal, I think it changes a little bit because um, football world is very, very strange and, you know, even the traditional powerhouses don't have any money. And then without really selling anybody, Man City go out and spend potentially 250 million pounds. It's a, it's a, it's a change in the nature of the conversation. It's like a, you bracket yourself as a very particular type of club um, in the transfer market, I think. I just don't think this is going to happen. I don't think they'll be able to buy him. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Let's talk about something more interesting. Let's talk about Aberdeen. Oh, yes. Let's do that. So, Conference League. Aberdeen are in the Conference League, and who have they drawn? Uh, well, it's not Spurs, which I'm very thankful for as a supporter of Aberdeen Football Club. They've been drawn against Limassol or Carabag. By UEFA Conference League standards, the league that hasn't actually begun yet, that's quite tough. Carabag are a nasty team to play away from home. Yeah, Aberdeen, tend, uh, there's something about it. I don't know if it's just the... I'm sure a lot of clubs have pessimistic fans, but it's just, just I mean, one year we got into Europa League very well. The first team we got was Burnley. Which I mean might not sound like a, a terrible um, draw, but when you consider this the budgets, the difference between the two clubs, it's enormous. Like Burnley will sign players for ten and eleven million players at a time, and that'll be Aberdeen's budget for about five seasons. Yeah, you, you want to avoid those just so you can get in, because the money you get when you get into a group stage, even at Conference League level, could be club changing. What's Aberdeen's record by? Who is Aberdeen's <laughs> by even? 
the record buy for Aberdeen Football Club is Paul Bernard in I think the 1997 season for do you want to guess what the total of the purchase was? £875,000 it was £1 million and that really? is what we're dealing with Yeah, that, and that's, so they've come nowhere close to that ever since and the club's changed a lot since then but there's a the thing so like Carabag could be a difficult uh, they're quite far away as I recall Carabag yeah it's in Azerbaijan yeah yeah there was it might be that team where was another one Aberdeen played in a Europa League qualifier where it was closer to China than Aberdeen is to Middlesbrough something like that <laughs> <laughs> but then you can't, I mean the travel isn't the enemy but the it's a little it's, bit the enemy I mean it's not ideal I mean, both teams have to travel, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah, that yeah. was a good thing. I was really worried they were going to get Spurs because it seemed like the inevitable thing that would happen. Um, Limassol are ranked 205th, apparently, in UEFA club rankings. Carabag are 69th. Aberdeen are in the middle at 151. What else has... So I haven't seen you since the night of the European Championship final. And oh, that yes. was at about one in the morning where like London was like a sort of a scene from like a Mad Max film. What has excited you about football since? Um, watching Aberdeen play, genuinely. Yeah. Uh, it's all changed. So for watching a club you support suddenly be entertaining to watch, which is feels new um, and capable of winning games by a scoreline of more than 1-0. That's been really fun. I enjoy the whole transfer saga thing. And I also like watching teams build towards the season. Yeah. So that I yeah. find that, I'm trying to think what else. What I quite like know? it. I quite like it when um, it's about like late July and a team have put together like a chain of two or three really good signings and you think and you're invariably proved wrong but you think oh that's going to be really interesting and that's like so Leicester City so one of the things on our um, podcast plan is the Community Shield which is coming up this weekend mm -hmm. and Leicester City one of the signings is Ryan Bertrand good player but I think the two that have really caught the eye and captain imagination are uh, Samaria and Dakar they are this year's club where everyone Every other club of a certain level uses their activity to flog their own chairman or sporting director. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you see sort of, oh, Dhaka being snagged and Samari being, I, I think they got him for less than 20 million pounds or something um, from Lille. And everybody else sort of starts abusing social media executives on Twitter. <laughs> they feel like that. And it's, it's kind of, you're, you're too far away for the, from the season to be kind of cynical or to be sort of too focused you're on your own team so you have a kind of reflective even tempered perspective on the air it's kind of fun well that also chimes with my actual other favourite thing about football in the off season is when football manager wonder kids are signed by clubs you know so you get to see them play and okay. you get to see who they are give me an example well Daka is one yeah so okay. I mean this kind of player that I mean not even football manager just a player you've known about well, that I've known about certainly for a few seasons now played in Austria where he's been in fact we've just done a video for it in Tifo IRL um, on Dak and what he brings so he's 27 goals in 28 games last season at Salzburg he basically stepped up to replace Haaland when he went to Dortmund and has yeah. done that um, exceptionally well he's Lester signed him as like a um, again, more detail on this in the video, but uh, they've signed him as a replacement almost for Jamie Vardy. So he won't be in the team straight away. Rodgers has said he's going to be a bit of a development year for him. But he's very similar in style to how Vardy plays. A few touches per game, plays off the last man, times his run so he's at full speed by the time the ball arrives at him rather than being having to run beyond from a starting position level with the defender, if that makes sense. Yeah. Bit of a poacher. And they were looking at Odds Edward at Celtic, which is a very different player, but similar to... 
I suppose in style more to Ihinacho in that he's more of a nine and a half between a ten and a nine. Takes more touches, more likely to link with play. And so that's quite fun. Bubakari Samari is meant to be like a Tielemans almost addition. There's a good chance that Tielemans, I'd imagine, will go to, what's this to help from Leicester? Probably someone like Liverpool would be the, the thing, but they need cover for that sort of player. They don't really have that box to box that they've got in the team just now. They've got Dennis Pret, Pratt. Yeah, Dennis Pratt. Basically, yeah. basically a 10. Um, Chowdhury might be going away on loan. He's basically a, a DMC. They've not got, I'm definitely missing a player or two from that midfield they can play in there. Yeah, that's kind of one of the fun bits. But you'll see it with Leicester is that they did so well last season, so how do you improve on it? The only way you can do it is by signing really good players that are better than the ones you've got. Now, the ones they've got that are really good, they signed young as wonder kids and let them develop for a, a year or two. Tielemans is a good example. Captain Anderlecht, when he was really young, came through and was already basically a Champions League level player, and that's exactly what he is now. But you sign them younger, you pay a lot of money, but not as much as you do when they're their prime. Harry Kane, we sign him when he's 21, he's going to be a lot cheaper than he is at 28. So that's the model they've got, they've got to follow. They can't afford to spend 70, 80 million pounds a player. So you spend 30 or 25 on a player, you're hoping you become that 70 million player later on. And that's really interesting. You know what I like about Leicester actually is that they've they've kind of fireproofed themselves for future exits. So you, you talked about Tillemans and it wouldn't be a surprise if in a year or two he moved to a, like a, a Champions League contending club. At the same time though, they seem to have spent... And Dak is probably a good example because, as you say, he's not going to be, they're not going to depend on him immediately. So what you've got is these players from lots of different positions who are being integrated, developing little relationships with um, teammates. And then as and when a couple of these players get sold, if they are, they can just step in. And then you're not, yeah. for instance, if you're, if, if Leicester sold a Wilfred and Didi this summer, and they thought, right, we're going to sell him first. And now we've got our 60, 70, 80 million pounds from Manchester United. Now we need to go out and buy a replacement. If you go to Lille and try and buy Samari after that has happened, and after the whole world knows that you've got 80 million quid burning a hole in your back pocket, all of a sudden, the um, first of all, the negotiation's a lot harder. I've seen that so many times in football. But also, you're asking a player to come into a new league, new town, new group and then immediately step into the shoes of one of the best central midfielders in the league and I suppose the same is true of you know if if Vardy had left this summer or if if they'd left the kind of the the Vardy succession plan a couple of years later you know longer um, but in Leicester you've got I remember at the beginning of the transfer window I don't think this is going to happen now but it, it seemed as if people were convinced that James Madison was going to leave that he might go and play for Arsenal mm-hmm. um, do you thought well yeah you don't want to lose him but you could probably take £60 million. You wouldn't necessarily have to replace him. You'd want to, but you wouldn't. it wouldn't be an absolute necessity. You have slightly like different players, but you've got Tillemans in that midfield. You've got Harvey Barnes playing out wide. You've got Dennis Pratt in there as well. You can construct something new out of those parts, even if it doesn't look quite the same. And so Leicester seems to be working from an even keel. There's no... It's not too reactionary. Like what I... One of my great fears with the Kane situation and Tottenham hat back on is that I've had it a few times people say oh yeah and 150 million quid's a you know good deal and you could you could you know buy three or four players and you can't though because first of all you're left with not enough time to do that second you know that every club on the continent can smell your desperation a mile away so if you go and for instance if you sold Harry Kane tomorrow and you wanted to sign Dusan Vlavic from Fiorentina 
well, all of a sudden, the sort of the reported 50 million euros that they want for him becomes 75 and you you expose yeah. yourselves to all these inefficiencies. Leicester don't do that. And I really, really like it. It's also part of um, one of the things that Rodgers does very well is coach players. Yeah. And I mean, people like watching them play. That's not very easy to do. It takes time to, to put those things in place with various sessions that you build to make your team play a certain way. And by bringing them in early, it means you can then sort of drop players in and out because they are... Uh, there's a cohesion to your team and there's an understanding. You see it with Liverpool a lot when they sign new players. They don't play straight away because they need to learn the way the team plays before they can go in because they won't be able to function as the way they should until they know how the team functions. And so again, that's quite clever transfer strategy to get them in where they are integrated into the team, not just the squad, the team, before they're just thrown in and expected to you know, work out all, all on their own in a few sessions like that. It's, it's funny, actually, let, this is a good time to do this. Let's take a, an abrupt right turn from uh, well-organized stuff to dysfunction because I want to know a little bit about Celtic because whenever I'm on social media I and Celtic are playing, I'm invariably surrounded by really, 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 really angry Celtic fans. Why? Beyond <laughs> just that they've been eliminated from the Champions League, what, what has happened that's so very bad at Celtic? Oh, man, it's just all gone wrong. So there's various, there's lots of complicated stuff behind the scenes that I can't, even begin to go into because there's so many different names involved and everything but um, essentially what's happened is Rangers got really good last season yeah. went unbeaten in the league Celtic were supposed to have 10 in a row and they just melted it just m- melted apart um, they have signed not terrible players but the recruitment has been poor for ages the new manager Ange Postacoglu 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 yeah. thank you um has repeatedly already made various, I think it's even just like, he's just having a go at the board for not signing players. Because it seems they're very dysfunctional. Doesn't seem to be anyone in charge really of bringing in players in particular at the moment. Um, And I'm sure Celtic fans will be very quick to correct me on that. But when what they brought in this season, let's have a look at their their squad. They brought in a a defender, Carl Starfelt, a Swedish boy. He comes in as a central defender. Um, And that's just one time they needed because the... I mean, he's got papped out of the Champions League by FC Midtjylland, right? Who are a decent team as it is. Celtic should be able to put. It's an an error they made that letting the goal in the first leg that yeah. gave them a real disadvantage, and that was a goalkeeper for Silas Barkas who they signed last season for a bit. Is of money. that the the goal which just whipped across him and he kind of he looked like he was leaving it and it went in off the back post? It was takes a few one? watches to work out what's going on. Yeah, it's, it's a free really kick from strange. left to right, and it just fires across the box and goes in the top corner. And it's a very odd he's not saved it, but Barkas is signed to be. The, you know, the next proper goalkeeper for Celtic and he's clearly not good enough um, maybe he'll improve in time not good enough now 5 million I think it cost that's a lot and they've got backup option is Scott Bain who also isn't quite good enough definitely not for Champions League level so they've got the goalkeeper is not there then the the back four or five they played in the Champions League was Anthony Ralston who is basically a reserve right back then they have Stephen Welsh very young centre back who I think he's done very well, especially towards the end of last season when he came in. Um, then they've got this young boy who I didn't even know about until he played this season. Another centre-back, I've forgotten his name completely, who started. Then the left-back is Greg Taylor, who's a very mediocre, like a good-level Scottish Premiership player, but again, not the Celtic left-back. But now the rumours are linking them with the goalkeeper and Joe Hart, just because he used to be a name a few years ago. This is the thing, there's no real... Like they used to sign decent players based on scouting and Lee Congerton was a guy who was out with Brendan Rodgers when, when he was there at Celtic and, and Rodgers inherited a much better team than, uh, than Postacoglu has inherited. 
and uh, uh, Congerton's gone as well. So in, instead of buying players like Christopher Iyer, who's just gone to Brentford, or Van Dijk, or Osn Edward and Tim Bailey when he was there, now they're signing players who, not that are fit for purpose, I'm sure they'll come good, but they're not good enough right now at all. And so they're in a real mess. Rangers have completely overtaken them and they're in danger of... They don't they need a full squad rebuild, but they're in danger of being really left behind at the moment. It's it's not great at all. That, that Joe Hart story it baffled me because I um I remember when he when he when he turned up at Spurs. Actually, I've done this a few times with Hart when he went to West Ham, when he was at Torino, when he went to Burnley. I thought actually that might do him good. You know, I, I thought it was a whatever was going on with him was like a temporary situation which he would just click out of. And it hasn't happened. And it hasn't happened now at four clubs. And if you watched him play at Spurs, you just whatever he had and I, I don't like the idea that Joe Hart was never a good player because he was yeah. he was a little bit overhyped because he was English and he um, his personality probably got in his own way a few times I think that's probably fair but all of that stuff that's you know that's a that's a very old take on Joe Hart now I see a player looks incredibly vulnerable he's lost his confidence he probably has some merit around the club i know it's a bit of a cliche but people seem to other other professional footballers seem to like him they seem to like training with him and he seems to be popular enough at spurs but if i'm celtic i'm thinking right he's probably coming with pretty hefty wages because he's still joe hart and he carries a reputation is the intention for him to be a first choice up there because that yeah. seems well, but then that's really weird, JJ, because yeah. if you're you're gonna if you're gonna spend money on a player, why are you not looking at your model at Celtic should surely be, you know, to win the league, of course, but your your recruiting model should be I wanna be signing players under the age of twenty three, I wanna be giving them a platform to play and then I need to sell and flip them and use that money to to kind of perpetuate my own cycle. Joe Hart doesn't fit into that. At all. No. And, and it, it, when you start trying to chase something quickly rather than doing it to a strategy or with any sort of planning, it looks very uh, haphazard. It's kind of all over the place. Maybe Hart would be good there at Celtic. He'd bring a certain level of professionalism. That There's one of the things they needed as well is that Scott Brown has left. He's been their, their yeah. I mean, the cliche, he's their talisman, but he is, he has been the heart of that Celtic team and he has instantly transformed the way Aberdeen look. They look um, comfortable in possession. They look like strong to the tackle they look that like they're not going to just fold apart like wet origami if you put any pressure on them <laughs> and I think missing that now from the dressing room so this, the captain now stepping up will be Callum McGregor who is more of a technical leader than I think a strong shouty man not that you need that as a leader but that's kind of what Scott Brown was in my eyes at least that's, that's what yeah. I thought of when I watched Scott, Scott Brown play I mean, Scott Brown, like, will fire into it. Like, when Scott, Scott Brown celebrates when he gets tackled, when he gets fouled and he gets up and he's not injured, he gets up and he, he cheers and, like, you know, pumps his chest out to folk. And the crowd gets really up and then that just carries on. It's this symbiotic thing with the crowd and the players yeah. and they all come together like that. So they're missing that now. But then what Celtic need to sign is they need leaders. They need technically, like, like technical players. Austin Edwards a very good player. And this is another problem they've got is that Edward... On the, along that model is that they'd hoped he'd be worth 40 million just now mm-hmm. and he probably is but uh, his contract runs out next season and no one's in to buy him so Leicester came in with a, with a bid apparently like a while ago but then never followed it up so they didn't they've not got Edward they don't care because they've got Patson Daka that we were talking about earlier so now Celtic don't have that big cash influx which they relied upon they don't have the Champions League money that they need to be able to buy these players they want to bring in and so a lot of it is They've got to be very calculated with how they're doing it. Rangers scouting has been excellent. The players that Gerard's bought in with whatever scouting network he set up there has made them technically very good. 
but also they've brought leaders who are able to turn that team into one that could go the entire league season unbeaten. Whereas Celtic are now chasing and they had all the power, they had all the confidence, like all the psychological power was theirs and it's it's all gone. And now it looks like the behind the scenes is what you see on the pitch. It's a bit of a stramash. There's no real cohesion in anything. There's no clear planning. And uh, yeah, I mean... The worrying thing for me is that um, the sort of the angry Celtic fans I was talking about earlier, like it's not even that the kind of when they went out to Midland in the Champions League people weren't really raging against the manager it was kind of people oh, yeah. kind of prefacing everything they said with sort of right well I don't really blame Ange Postacoglu this is a this is a board issue and that's like when you're that speaks to a really rotten type of dysfunction that's kind of worrying moments in a football club when you don't when, when football fans are just in manager out drop this player need another you know 300 million spent you know that kind of stuff that's mm-hmm. kind of okay because that's just day-to-day football fandom really for a lot of people I think now but when you when it's about when you've lost faith in people behind the scenes to make decisions which impact the things you see on the pitch that's a different kind of chaos yeah it, it's definitely the board that all the fans are annoyed at because they've seen it coming they've seen it slowly happening they weren't very happy last season when Neil Lennon uh, who left you know maybe through the season then there's another thing that's to do with the planning. Neil Lennon left or was released or I can't remember what this actual story was. Basically, he's not there. You know, he just went and up stepped John Kennedy, the assistant manager. Uh, and that was a while ago in last season. And it, it took until quite recently for them to bring in uh, the new manager. So if you're going to get rid of Lennon, you think they have someone lined up, but either it's failed attempts to hire someone new to take them in or no agreement on what kind of manager they want to take them to the next level. And if they were going to bring in that manager, they should bring him in earlier so he's got a chance to work with scouts and the recruitment department to try and bring in exactly what you need. And then straight away, it already looks like, I mean, they lost the first game of the season. They lost 2-1 to Hearts uh, and were not good by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know, it's interesting, at least, for a neutral. <laughs> All right, let's use that to talk about more dysfunction and also to plug the athletic because one of my favourite things to read recently was Stu James's account of what's been going on at Swindon Town. Um, now, with some of these articles, you which sort of chart the downfall of football clubs, you can kind of glaze over because a lot of the stuff that you read, you've heard before, like there's sort of cliches of bad ownership and disaffected players and angry fans. This is on a complete different level. It's, um, it's one of those where you can read certain paragraphs and sometimes you just have to read them again just so that you're absolutely sure you've understood what's happened. But just because it's, it's like... It is a little bit like what might happen if a group of children tried to run a football club. It's um, it's breathtaking. So do go and read that. JJ, what's caught your eye on The Athletic lately? Um, loads in researching my uh, video we've done on T4IRL of Pats and Daka. I've read lots of stuff on Pats and Daka on the website, uh, often just by searching his name and it all comes up. I learned about loads of different footballers that you just type their names in <laughs> and then you get all sorts of bits and pieces and now I'm on the spot I can't remember all the things I've read but I do read it every day and every I do every single day hey uh, Danny Taylor's interview with the uh, the Silver Twins was very very interesting it's interesting how you, how you form an opinion of players based on well pretty much nothing and I always saw them as when they're during their time at United when they were together they, they just seemed like quite meek unassuming characters turns out they're absolute shithouses but in a, in a good kind of supportive pleasing sort of way and um no, they were very, very talkative. It's a great interview. So do go and give that 
a try on The Athletic. And if you want a deal for that, I dare say there's one going at the moment, but if you go to theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, I think at the moment you can get a free 30-day trial. It'll I believe be that is correct. That is correct. That is good. Okay, so go and do that. Joe, that would make Joe happy. Also, the happier Joe is, the less likely he is just to flounce out in the middle of a podcast. And that just that that, that works for everybody. It just it, that benefits everyone. So if you you go and subscribe, go and take advantage of a deal. Happy Joe, happy podcast, happy JJ, happy me. You know, and we can be sure that the podcast going forward will have a third voice, which was which would be nice, which would be really nice. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. JJ, I think, should we talk about Pro Evolution Soccer a little bit or should we save that for another time? I've not played a new one yet, so but we could, no, let's talk about it. I think it's interesting. Now, there's a lot of terms. Um, so they, they announced last week that it's becoming a uh, free-to-play game. Uh, it's going to be sort of online-focused, cross-platform, and all sorts of alarm bells rang in my head because I feel as an older user of Pro Evo, I need a safe space. I need somewhere away from like, away from teenage people that are gonna humiliate me online. As we found out in the kind of the, um, in the war zone conversation that you and I had a couple of days ago about the helicopter and the death and you know, all that stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't want Pro Evo to become like that. What is what is new Pro Evo gonna look like? Or eFootball as I'm obliged to call it now. So, like for, for context for anyone who's not entirely sure, this is Pro Evolution Soccer, also known as PEZ, um, formerly known as International Superstar Soccer. And I think in like South Korea or Japan, it was called like K League or something. Winning Eleven. Winning that's Winning Eleven. Yeah, that's the one. Um, so that's what it is. So they've announced that they're not going to make any new PEZ editions of PEZ. Last one was twenty twenty one. It's a good game by all accounts. Although and you have to play in a counter attack or you can't win, and that sucks. However. Uh, now it's going to be yeah cross-platform, so similar to how I mean, a lot of games now. This is the thing you had Google Stadia come out, and the idea was that you'd be able to you know I, actually I don't even know what that is. I'm going to just move past that because I don't yeah, know what that I, was. I only pretend to know I, what that is. I, I, really, I, so, yeah. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to yeah. pretend. So like our you know our good old friend Warzone is cross-platform. It means you can play it if you have a PlayStation with your friend who's on Xbox, with your friend who's on PC. You can play it all together. And one of the things that's interesting about football games now is that a lot of people play them not just. 1v1 and two teams they play them so it's um, 2v2 or 3v3 so in those kind of modes and there's a good one in, in Pro Evo called co-op mode and I think that this is you cannot compete really with FIFA because the amount of money they have behind it is very much like the Man City of the football video game world whereas Pez became the uh, I don't know the one everyone likes but is probably the better one to play but 
I, I, I derive no enjoyment from FIFA at all. I've tried. I've tried. I just, every game is the same. But what club is, is Pro Evo if, if FIFA is Man City? It is. It's probably a Brit Dortmund. Leeds. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leeds okay. in the championship. That's what they were. Yeah, that's what it yeah, is. Okay, okay, Leeds in the yeah. championship versus Man City now. So it's too different. They can still compete, but they're not going to. They're not going to. So yeah, that's the thing now. So now it's cross-platform. And I mean, that'll be a good thing. It'll mean the graphics look probably a bit weird, but they'll scale up on devices that can handle it. But, but JJ, we, we, uh, okay, so cross-platform on, uh, for instance, I can play Warzone against Henry. He's on his Xbox. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. But if I'm playing Pro Evo against you and you're on your phone, how can that not be rubbish? How can that not be really, really bad? Because I think you have to remember that we are both in our 30s and uh, we are used to playing with a controller. But a generation of children have come through and they are the future. Children are the future, Seb, and they play on their phones. I No, except that. Children are definitely the future. I accept that. But not the ones who are going to become murderers, though, not them. No, not, not those ones. No, I don't, we don't want those ones in Pro Evo. Definitely don't want to be playing against them online. But also, a phone has fewer buttons. So, for instance, if I wanted to super cancel, mm -hmm. you know, where I'm, where I'm at a corner. So, I want, to, uh, like, I want to escape my marker at a corner or just some kind of set piece. Right. And I have to do that on the PlayStation with the PlayStation controller. How can I possibly do that on the phone? Um, well, I mean, you can. There are paddles you can get for your phone that turn it into controller. And that's basically the same sort of thing. But yes, I understand. And also, the movement of it is not ideal. I don't mean that even playing Sonic is hard on a phone. It's just there's not a D-pad. You need that the physical feel. And that's the games used to be built because there's a physical feel to the games. You really feel it when you're playing it. I guess that's me being a bit romantic with it. Um, I, I don't know if it'll work, man. But it's something new. It might be really great and I'm going to assume it could work very well. The weird thing I think is that a lot of people still play things like Master League whereas this is going to be clearly based I'd imagine towards playing I really like Master League. And okay. just online divisions and things like that because that's what yeah. I th I'd assume that's what most people play because that's certainly what I play but I know a lot of people still play Master League and normal leagues against the computer. But also but this is a good thing because Master League is a safe space. It's a it's a place where you can convince yourself that you're adequate at the game whilst also remaining really, really bad at it in a way that gets brutally exposed anytime you go above like division seven. Like, it's, it's a, I feel like it's a, for an older player, it's a barrier to entry. It's off-putting. It's kind of, all right, well, we'll go online and you can beat me five nil and, you know, it just turns into something I don't like. It feels like something's been taken away from me and I, I'm not in the rational, you've moved through to the kind of rational optimistic stage. I'm still, you know, in a sort of, oh, I don't know why there's so many channels on television frame of mind about this. I'm not embracing the future at all. Like it was, <laughs> it was fine. It didn't need to change. It needed to get better. It needed, it didn't need an overhaul. It needed it needed silly things being put right. Like I, when I go online, I, I, I need to be able to find someone to play against without just sitting there for 15 minutes. But that's like your player base, yeah. And then how do you compete with that for the FIFA player base? You can't. Yeah. The ah. menus are also terrible. That's really important. One of the things it, I think is really important, especially talking about the future of it, is how in competitive gaming, esports is going to be a real, th I mean, it already is a real thing. It is going to be, not exponentially perhaps, but progressively more and more of a real thing that people see and there are I mean there are elite sports people who play them they are you know they're most of all you think of them being mostly like hooded uh basement dwelling creatures who just play it but they're not these all these kids are um some of them are actually very fit 
and they actively make sure they are um, yeah, yeah, able yeah. to compete athletically. But uh, it's the thing, if it's cross-platform, what happens, I think, tends to be is that you'll get the PC players tend to be the ones who have all the benefit because they've got different, I mean, different refresh rates on your screen and stuff like that. Getting really <laughs> nerdy. Going too nerdy. pretty Sorry. quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm already I'm boring myself while I'm talking about it yeah okay I think I'll sum that all up by just saying new stuff is bad Castolo stop innovating stop evolving just keep things exactly as they are in a way that I can understand without having to put in any more effort that's <laughs> what I want from life um I feel like if Joe were here he would be rolling his eyes at me and saying uh, well, probably offensive things and probably undermining my confidence, chiseling away. But because he's not, we'll just say a nice goodbye. Goodbye, JJ. Goodbye, Seb. It was lovely. Goodbye, everybody. To you yeah, it's been fun. I uh, missed, Yeah, but it's. I miss. You know, it's a theme. I miss the, I miss the way things were. <laughs> but we are back, and we are back to do. Uh, so we're going to do the podcast once a week this season. We will have an occasional special series here and there. More on that to come in the future. But you'll be catching us on Tuesday mornings and we'll be recording on Monday. So we shall see you with Joe next week. Yeah, I'll be less likely to leave during most of the shows from now on. Yeah, we'll we'll have conversations about what his triggers are, what his pressure points are, and and how not to kind of provoke the sort of the reaction we saw today. and we'll work at that. We'll see if we can get him to do 40 minutes next week, an hour the week after. It's a mean hope. Getting a Matt Sharp. Yeah, just work him into the new season, gently. Thanks, everybody. Bye.